My name is Joanna Pagonis, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. This is our first episode in our special segment series, Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday is devoted to highlighting women in business and their efforts and achievements in creating inclusive and equitable societies. When reviewing stats on where the world is at with gender parity, we can see that no single society has achieved total equality between women and men. And although women are increasingly entering the workforce, gender inequality still exists. It exists in our pay, in leadership positions, funding for new ventures, and mentoring opportunities. Women in Canada earn 28% less than men, and this gap is widening, not closing. And here are some other statistics. Women represent only 10% of seats on board of directors. Women hold only 5.2% of the CEO roles at Fortune 500 companies, and women hold only 8% of top paid jobs in Canada. Another harsh reality is that the pandemic is amplifying existing gender inequalities. This phenomenon has been referred to as the tale of two pandemics. One tale is the pandemic our healthcare system and economies are facing. The other tale is the pandemic women are experiencing. That is one of the main reasons why I started Taco Tuesday. And yes, the double entendre is intentional. My guest today, Christine Channer August, is all too familiar with gender and racial inequities. In spite of those challenges, Christine has achieved over 15 years of success in a variety of industries. She is a fierce advocate and ally for empowerment and inclusion through education, learning, and strategic initiatives. Christine is the CEO of Channer Consulting and Training, the host of the Fab Collective podcast, and is an award-winning community-focused and strategic-minded powerhouse. In today's interview, Christine shares her experiences in the corporate world and what led her to move from employee to CEO. Christine's resilience, belief in herself, and ability to pivot will be inspirational to both men and women alike. Hello, Christine, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. I'm really excited to have you on the show. So I usually like to start every episode by asking my guest to share a little bit about their history, their career journey, and what led them to where they are today. Absolutely. So again, thank you for having me. Joe, I, I've already given you a nickname, sorry. Sounds good. Um, I give everyone a short form nickname. No, I love it's it. habitual. Um, but for me, I started my business December 11th, 2019, which is wild, uh, because we're approaching September. Um, so it's just been, it's been a whirlwind. The seed that was planted for my business though was years, many years ago. So I would say the second that I stepped foot off of the go train in Toronto, I'm originally from Ontario. I still have a home there. I visit there often. I actually just got back. Um, the second I stepped foot off that go train, I saw the big city and I started to just work and I'm like, I know I want to have my own business. So I started to kind of plan out what that would look like, because at the end of the day, um, I know people I'll caveat this and even the fact that I'm saying, it, I'm like, don't say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. You know, some people are tired of hearing about, you know, they're like, why are women taking this, um, you know, victim mentality? It's not about victim. It's just about realities. And for me as a woman and a woman of color, a black woman, I just knew that there was there's was going to need to be a very specific plan and strategy to get to have my own business. That's just it. 
I know that opportunities that come my way are not always the same. So from what was it? 2006. Oh my God. <laughs> like I'm just thinking back like, Oh my God, that's so long time ago. Um, 2006 to now I I made a, a plan. Um, I started in business. I started in finance. So in the financial sector with CI Financial, um, worked in the bilingual because I went to York. So I, I have my bilingual degree from Glendon. And I, I just started to make some moves really early. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to be an EA um, because I know that will get me access to that next step. I'll be able to work because I wanted to get into BD roles. Like BD is kind of in my blood as the hospitality world. Um, just relationships, like relationships are at the core of everything I do. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start here. And then I'm going to look out for EA roles and EA roles will help me get into outside sales roles and so on and so forth. So then fast forward to 2012, I moved out to Edmonton uh, with my boyfriend, who's on my husband. And again, the vision, it just kind of like out here, it was 2012. So the boom wasn't hot, but there was still kind of like the aftershock of the boom. So we have been very blessed in the sense where nothing has ever been handed to us, but there was definitely opportunities presented to us out here versus in Toronto. I love Toronto, the greater Toronto area, but as a young couple, it was just, it was a smarter move. It was not easy. And again, it was just strategically, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take on this role with this company and really diversify my experience. So when I look at like my resume, I'm like, what do I want to focus on? Because I've literally worked across almost every single industry. Um, Cause I just always feel that when you have that, there's a certain skill set, you know, when it comes to relationship building that you either have it or you don't, but to get the different experience in different industries, I just feel like that would have made me an even better entrepreneur and be able to serve my clients better so when I moved here, I started the side hustle. So that's when I started to dip my toe in entrepreneurship. Because again, there's always that, oh, is it the right time? Is it the right time? Should I do it now? And, and we all hear it. There's no perfect time. Um, so that was 2012. And then fast forward now to 2019, um, working in a previous company. I have out here, I worked in, oh gosh, I've worked in consumer goods. I worked in post-secondary. So I worked at Northwest College, ran some programs, developed some programs there working with the First Nations communities a lot. And then the last kind of step was working in a consultancy, was there for about nine months. It definitely was not the greatest fit for a number of different reasons. And I'm like, well, there's no time like the present. I just had that feeling. Um, I'm like, okay, it's time. And so we parted ways on December 9th, December 11th. I incorporated my business and here we are. And, you know, March happened, which was COVID. So March, 2020. And that definitely kind of caught me off guard as it did many people. I know that was the same for you, but the thing with me, I've always trusted my gut. And I think that's one of the magic powers that us, we all have a gut feeling, but I feel like women, we just have like this superpower when it comes to instincts. And there is, there's never been a point where I'm like, I think I should go back to the day, like working for somebody. And that's not to, you know, go after anyone that's in a day job at all, but we all have our own journey. And I was, I remember saying when I moved here, I want to retire from the industry, like retire from corporate by the time I'm 40. So I did that two years early. Um, and it's not to retire indefinitely. It's just retire from that so I can start this full time. So that's where my 
world is now and it's wild and crazy and fun ups and downs and sides and diagonals and all of the things but I'm enjoying it even in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to uh, the analogy that you used, ups and downs and crazy times, I think, for a lot of individuals and businesses. Maybe you can share a little bit about what are some of the things that you have learned about yourself and your level of resiliency through this challenging time? <laughs> so I feel like, oh, that is such a, I'm going to impact that a little. So with this journey overall, there was always, again, I always had side hustle from like, oh God, like 2010-ish. So side, you know, I, I started to do some light consulting work. I remember there was a four month period where that was all I was doing in between jobs. And I kind of went into the pool and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to the day, like to the nine to five. What I learned is that, you know, trusting yourself is not always easy, but it's never going to guide you the wrong way. And I know people hear that, but, you know, trusting yourself means trusting yourself even when it's uncomfortable, even when you don't have it all figured out, even when you are probably having a mini meltdown. You know, when I incorporated the business, this was like two weeks, two, three weeks before Christmas. It's like December is Christmas parties, holiday parties, open houses, a lot of, you know, entertaining um, with clients, with teams. So I was like, of course, the thoughts were in my head. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, what? But again, that gut feeling was louder. And it's like choosing to trust that was like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And as much as things felt chaotic, as much as there was so many emotions going on for me, I was like, I know I'm going to be okay. And it was the first time where I was like, cause I've felt that before, but I've just pushed that down and this like, no, the realistic thing to do is to be responsible. Well, being responsible also means trusting yourself. And I think as women, oftentimes we are told not to, or do what's best, or we often default to what's best because our nurturing sense is to like, make sure everyone feels happy and feels comfortable at our expense. So it was like, nope. I'm going to do this. This feels right. So trusting myself has been a huge lesson and leaning into the discomfort. Uh, discomfort is something that I would run like fight, flight, and not freeze. Cause I wouldn't have any time to freeze. Cause I already, I, I was already out of there. So the discomfort is not always to harm, you know, change happens in those uncomfortable places. So leaning into that has been a huge lesson, uh, not just with starting the business, but, you know, along the way, like change has to happen in order for change to happen. And it sounds intuitive, but oftentimes we want change to happen. But then when that intersection happens, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't sign up for this bumpy ride. Like, get me off of this right now. So just re and again it comes back to trust it's like no you're good you're good it's, it, it might be a little uncomfortable but you but you're good right so it's those quiet whispers that um instead of just being like no mute because <laughs> again i'll just press mute and just take off so now it's like mm, no just kind of sitting in it a bit and kind of trying to understand where the pushback is coming from and oftentimes it's from past traumas or fears or stories that have been told to me or what's from society or whoever um, 
former bosses, whatever that looks like, right? So just really ferociously trust yourself. Yeah, I agree. Trusting yourself is critically important, especially if you're going to launch a new business. When I took my part-time consulting business to full-time of February 2020 of this year, one of the things that convinced me to do that was believing in myself, knowing that I had worked very hard for other organizations and brought them success, that if I applied the same mindset and determination to my own business, I would also be successful. Literally, the conversation I just had with a friend, another business owner yesterday, I'm like, I have very confidently and very proudly, like, beaten down doors that were that people told like they looked at me they're like good luck to you it's probably not going to happen i've achieved wild success for previous employers like wild out of this world and it came from hard hard work and focus so it comes down to wait a second i know i can do this i've done this how many times before so it's just a matter of being like if i can do this for x company or x person of course i can do it for myself But again, we're not, as women, we're not raised to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. So we've been talking a lot about resiliency and how trusting yourself is one way that you have developed resiliency. What are some other things that you have developed that makes you a very strong and resilient woman? Oh, life. Um, Honestly, I have, again, switching the narrative has been big for me because again, going back to avoiding the challenge. So I've always been someone who will look ahead. I had a former colleague said to me, you know, Channer, people either call me Channer or Fab. And they're like, you have this incredible way of seeing things that people, other people don't see. And that comes from a childhood that wasn't great. Like there was a lot of trauma in my childhood. So I was always preparing. But with that, I used to look at things like too dangerous, don't even attempt. And then say, you know, so the internal narrative really had to change to build that resiliency because I realized that resiliency cannot be built without opposition, without that headwind. It's the same like a plane. My sister always tells me this. A plane cannot take off without wind like that is literally what has the plane go into the air because i remember i was on a flight i'm like why are we facing this aggressive wind you know how alberta winds can be like your house is shaking and i just remember being on that plane i'm like what is happening but that's the only way you're gonna fly honey so for me it's like instead of seeing the turbulence seeing the wind feeling the wind feeling the pressure i'm like how am i gonna get better at this how do we get better at anything? If I want to learn patience, I'm not going to learn patience from not being tested by things that are going to test my patience. You know what I mean? And it sounds so, it's like common sense, but again, our instincts are to kind of like, kind of rewind out of there. Right. So I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to go out looking for trouble, but when discomfort comes, instead of me defaulting to what I know, which is run, hide, be quiet, be small, And here's the thing, like that was what was told. That was part of a narrative, but who I am and who my personality is, I'm not quiet or small. You know what I mean? So I was going against my instincts, my true essence. So I was like, okay, how am I going to build resilience? Same with like, again, starting the business. It, for most people, it's like, are you crazy? Why would you do that? I'm just like, no, 
I thrive in crazy. I'm good. You know, people have been calling me crazy for long enough. It's now let's, let's own a giddy up. Let's go. Right. So it's just leaning into those points where it's like, this is going, like, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's how you, it's like that refiner's fire. It's like, you know, trial by fire. Sometimes you have to go through it again with turbulence. There's, we, I was just on a flight where I'm like, what is the pilot doing? It's so uncomfortable. But my sister's like, you know that they have a flight path, right? Like the only reason that they might go up or down is for your comfort, but you're completely safe. And I was just like, you know what? Sometimes and oftentimes to get to that destination, you got to go through it. You have to go through it. I'm trying to fight the very thing that's going to get me there. So it's like, I'm, I'm going to try my best and, and every day, because again, habits are habits for a reason, but mindfully just be like, okay, what's happening? Take that moment of pause and be like, why do I want to jump ship? Why do I want to run, run out of this? And just be like, okay, destination journey. This is part of it. Embrace it and keep it going. And that along the way resiliency, like there's certain things that you're shedding as certain things are refining. So refinement has been, and that's another, that's been a big theme for me over the past couple of years. And I just see how the overall journey has gotten me here. Like there's certain situations where I'm like, why the hell is this happening to me? But now I'm like, Oh, okay. Because I'm the skills that I learned in that very trying situation are literally the skills why clients want to work with me, why I'm able to manage projects that some people would not even want to touch. You know what I mean? So I'm like, Oh, that's why. Cool. Cause oftentimes we can see things in hindsight, but we're in the middle of it. We're like, <laughs> this is very uncomfortable. So the discomforts definitely create resiliency, but making the choice to lean into the discomfort, the choice to, again, not looking for trouble, but to accept things in your life that might be a challenge and work through that. That helps build resiliency as well. I have a mantra. I say, stay the course, realize the journey has just begun. There are lessons to learn along the way. And sometimes the destination isn't our biggest reward. It's how we actually get there. And that is exactly what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And I feel like we're always very hyper-focused on the destination. I know I have been. Problem with that is that, again, we want to skip the journey. We want to skip the bus ride. And that's when usually people want to jump off the bus or like, and the destination is it feels way too daunting and big one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Every moment of every day is going to bring stuff that you, you can prepare until the cows come home. Like I like to have a to-do list for my to-do list, but there's always going to be stuff that's going to be thrown on your plate and you need to deal with it or not. Right. So I, I, the goal for me is the destination And sometimes understanding that the journey, you can set out that flight, that flight plan, but you might have to go up or down, but you're still moving forward. Forward is the goal. And then when you, once you get to that destination, guess what? You can, you can create a new one, but don't focus on the destination because then it feels like this is too big for me to hold. Well, yeah, you're not there. You haven't experienced what you need to experience to get there. So of course it's going to feel like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, you use the analogy of going up and down, I see that representing agility. And I see resilience and agility being different sides of the same coin. 
they, they are dependent on one another. The more resilient you become, the more easy it is for you to be agile and to change your mindset, your practices, um, the direction you may be going in, for example. And so I see the two very much related to one another. And that brings us to the next part of our conversation, which is the tale of two pandemics and how the pandemic has really impacted women, women, women-owned enterprises and businesses. And so you talked about the need to go up and down, but uh, to always stay the course. Maybe you can share a little bit right now about how the, Im- uh, how the pandemic has impacted you. Oh, Lord, uh, the pandemic. Oh, I feel like the pandemic has, you know, there's everyone kind of experienced that blindside moment. However... I had, remember I said that certain things happen and you don't realize why they're happening. In my previous role, before I started this, I was completely blindsided. So when the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, like I I didn't shake it off. I didn't dim it down, but I'm like, was it jarring? Yes. But had I been there before recently? Yes. So like, okay. (laughs) Like I was just like, oh, my husband and I are going to be home at the same time. So like the normal panic that I usually have wasn't there because I had that momentarily in December. I just had that. But the reality is that again, with a lot of the work I do, so I work with a lot of incredible indigenous communities. I work in community, right? So I'm going to the nations. I'm very front facing, not that I'm against online, but there are certain challenges that come with, you know, strictly delivering something online, especially in communities where internet might not be the same. Like we make a lot of assumptions, but I like to meet every client regardless of who they are, where they're at. So when pandemic hit, everything stopped, like everything stopped. And we had incredible, um, and I say we, cause I have such an amazing team. I love them so much. Um, but we had incredible momentum, like a week after I, you know, parted ways with my previous employer, I signed a contract a week to the day after. So, and that was December, which again, people were like, who's going to sign a contract in December? I did. And even me, I was like, Oh, I started bawling. I was like, Oh my God, this is, it's like those validating moments. So we were cooking and, you know, with spring, I'm like, spring's kind of like that show season. I love show season. So, and then the pandemic, like I was in Toronto the ninth, the week after that, everything shut down and not just in Alberta across the country. Cause I do have clients across the country shut down. And we had just experienced, there was extreme cold in Edmonton. I want to say in February. So some of my communities were just reopening because that extreme cold, they couldn't go into the office. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of normal in Alberta. And then the pandemic hit. And then, and then the reality is that we weren't going back to work in two weeks or after March break. And I was like, Okay. So for me, I would say the biggest thing that affected me was the assistance, which is going to seem like a juxtaposition. But as a new business, I understand that there's always risk with lending with, and again, I had, my whole plan was never to borrow excessively, just the way my business is set up. I don't necessarily need to, but when the rug is pulled from underneath us, uh, no money's coming in, especially since online option is, is something that I very intentionally decided I'm not going to pivot to this because 
There are certain things that you can pivot to online and what we're offering you can't. And I'm all about value and integrity first. So while I can be like, yeah, we can give you some watered down online version so I can make some money. That's not going to positively impact my clients. And so I'm not interested. So I was like, okay, so I had to swallow the pill that I was going to bring in zero income for at least March and then take it month by month. But, you know, there was all that emergency money. As we know, there was that emergency money turned out within what days, maybe a week, which was incredible. But that feeling of defeat every single time you go in or me, I go in, I'm like, oh, but I can't apply. Oh, but I can't apply for this. Oh, and even like my banker was like, I'm, she's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, you know what? The, it looks like there's going to be more adjustments because there's been feedback. I'm like, okay, is this the time that, and I'm not looking, I'm just looking for a little and nope. Everything was like, no, you have to have your business for like three years. You have to have payroll dudes. I don't have payroll. I have subcontractors. I've had subcontractors when I was working for the man. It's just a more economic benefit to especially clients. Right. So I'm like, huh? so the, that is what, one of the biggest ways it affected me in the way And again, I applaud the government for taking the initiative to have such significant assistance, but I can honestly say I did not use any of it and not by choice, not by pride. I'm like, oh, I don't need it. I'm so good because there was always an obstacle. And I just find that for small business owners that have under a year. And again, I'll repeat, like, yes, there are risks. I understand. Like I worked in the banking industry for years. I know that you have to assess certain risks. People open businesses just to get all this money and then they like tax evasion. I get it. But there needs to be a better way of assessing, especially in the middle of pandemic because people were literally, and I'm not the only one, like there's a level of privilege that I have um, when it comes to like collateral and stuff like that. What about people in communities that don't even have that? In communities that are traditionally extremely patriarchal where women don't own anything, Right. So I'm, and I heard it a lot from my clients and it's like, so yeah, there was help for businesses. What about entrepreneurs? What about women? What about BIPOC women? Uh, I just don't feel like everything was taken into consideration. I know that this was, you know, they had to move to market and reallocate funds as needed, but that was it was disappointing and it kind of reflected kind of where our society's at overall without, with or without a pandemic. When it comes to women in business, there's an article that you and I have both read by Wendy Kulkler from Ryerson, where again, it speaks literally to this, how like in small and medium enterprise businesses, they're predominantly women. There's a lot of women represented in it. Um, but the funding doesn't come to us. And because our businesses are younger, a lot of things, if you, if I was watching a show yesterday where it's like back in the seventies, you could, or the forties, you couldn't even, um, get property without your father or your husband co-signing, even if you qualified. Right. So yeah, we fast forwarded to 2020, but a lot of things still haven't changed. Like there's key things where through reading that article, I was like, uh, yeah, there's like, so there's one line where she's like, the Canadian government responded to the COVID-19 crisis in record time. It launched programs that would normally take months or even years in a matter of days, which again, amazing. At the same time though, it's important to recognize 
systemic barriers to women and diverse groups are being exacerbated in this crisis. To support them, we need to bring a gender and diversity lens to our responses or else decades of hard-won gains will be lost. And further to that, I had a podcast episode, so I have this series called Unlearn to Learn, where we speak specifically about the experience of Black women and how our experience is very different. And it's not to say who suffered more, but it is very different, and especially in business. I could talk about that for hours and days. So like I said at the beginning, opportunities afforded to me in or outside of a pandemic are limited compared to my peers inside a pandemic are almost non-existent. And this is me, an edu- a university educated woman who's worked in, has, have, I've had an incredible career in corporate, private, public, all this. So there's a level of privilege that I have. I can't help but think about those that don't have that, that maybe have grade 12, but they have like that fire in their belly. They have the skill set to deliver and they will be overlooked. So it was super frustrating. Um, did I survive? Yes. Like I'm a, I will fight and fight and fight long nights. It definitely birthed. I consider myself an innovative person, um, but it definitely birthed innovate more innovation, having those conversations, keeping the team informed, looking at realistic ways that we can still serve the community. And even if that meant we weren't bringing money in, um, and then again, like getting the emails from my banker and just being like, you know, I'm so sorry that, you know, three, there was three versions of the funding for businesses and I didn't qualify for any of it. And it's not because my credit's bad. <laughs> it's not because, you know, the usual things, oh, your credit's bad. It's just like, oh, well, do you have payroll? No. And, and here's the thing. I don't plan on having payroll for at least five years. And a lot of businesses are the same thing. Having subcontractors, it's, I think, if anything, that has increased during the pandemic. It creates conversations like these that hopefully people will start to listen to and create advisory panels and and put a different lens on these decisions because I am not the only one. We are not the only ones. This is a huge issue. And I think the pandemic has highlighted that amongst other things. You talked a little bit about advisory groups. What are some other things that individuals or I should probably say organizations and governments can do to support not only women, but underrepresented business owners through this time? I honestly feel like there's so many ways this can be addressed, but the best way is having the conversations and actually listening. There's so many organizations, especially in the era of Me Too, where they're waving the women flag. And then in the era of Black Lives Matter, now they're waving the women flag and the Black Lives Matter flag. But then when you look at their actual policies and how they've reacted to things, and I know that, you know, banks are held, you know, to the standard Bank of Canada makes a lot of the decisions and they are just kind of like who delivers it. But as someone that works in finances, I know that there's a lot of things that they can do. And having conversations understanding your market, understanding that women we're here, we're not going anywhere. We as entrepreneurs and not, we are contributing to the bottom line period, right? Marketing spends billions of dollars a year catering to women because whether we are a stay at home mom, we're making decisions of what food we're eating, what our kids are wearing, what vacation we're going. When we're business owners, we lead in a very different way for the most part. So I think that there needs to be a more women represented and women of color represented in these organizations so that they have a voice at the table making these decisions, first and foremost. 
Second of all, there needs to be more community engagement. There needs to be more discussions. Understand that is literally the approach I take with everything. I need, in order for me to serve you, I need to understand what your needs are. I need to, and it's not to go in with all these promises, but to be heard is incredible. And it sounds simple, but we live in a very male dominant society where even like if we do get funding, it's often less than our male counterparts. Same like in the workplace where they're getting paid more than we are. So when it comes to being money lending, we're getting less. It's like the same situation trickling down on the other side of the coin. So, and I think that there is something to be said about mentorship um, that will come out of that. Mentorship is fundamental, but yet lacking, (laughs) especially when it comes to female. I've been looking for a mentor. I just found one. I said, I want one. It doesn't matter if it's a man or woman, but I'm looking for a, a black female mentor locally and if not locally then i can do the zoom thing and it's harder than one would imagine and i'm not saying that there's no black people out here but it's you know i'm looking for someone that has taken a similar path and at the end of the day like when we run programs in communities i have always 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 like when we do training i'm like I hope that you guys are open to mentorship, which usually they are, especially my indigenous communities, because when people see people that look like them in a role that they aspire, you are automatically, I don't care who you are, you're automatically going to have that level of confidence. You're going to have that level of inspiration. You're going to be like, they did it. They look like me. They've probably faced not identical, but similar oppressions that I have and they have made it. So as women, I don't see a lot of female mentorships. Like there's she, Oh, which is a phenomenal organization that I'm soon to be part of. And they're the only ones I can think of off the top of my head that are really doing it right. I think the banks can learn after them where it's a female again, CEO. It's a female run organization to support other female entrepreneurs. It's from what I've read, from what I've seen, from the people that have joined, it's so well represented. And when I say diversity, I'm talking about across the board, gender, you know, um, race, all of it, age, everything, all encompassing. So they're the only ones I can think of, but mentorship needs to be part of it as well. You know, where we have, let's just say it's a higher risk. So someone from a community where they don't own property. Um, they are wanting to start like a bead, like an art artisan type of thing. So farmer's market or something, and they need some seed money. Okay. Banks, like there's some risk there. Okay. Well, we'll give you X amount of dollars, but then we'll set you up with a mentor, whether that's a community mentor, double bonus mentor within the bank, the financial institution and the community. Like what? This is not hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? And this has worked before. And this is in male world. It's in the man's world. I've seen it. I'm not going to name organizations, but I've seen it. It's happening all the time. You know, old boys club have been around forever. And so it's time for us to have our old woman's club <laughs> or new woman's club. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, it's not like we don't know how to do this. We just don't know how to do this for women. Hey everyone. Joanna here with a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Sinogap Solutions, 
Woman Up, Ignite the Leader in You. When I started Synogap Solutions, I wanted to create a unique learning experience for women who would like more support in developing their leadership skills. As a result, I created Woman Up, Ignite the Leader in You. Through the program, you will explore your purpose and personal vision statement, uncover the competencies required in leading others, develop strategies that will help you find mentors and secure sponsors, and lastly, we will explore what an organization can do to create equitable practices in selecting and promoting women. If you're interested in learning more about the program and how it can be customized for your organization, contact us today at synogapsolutions.com forward slash contact. You can access the link in the show notes. You were talking a lot about mentorship and it made me think back to just maybe a couple of months ago, I was speaking to an educational institution, a university that has a mentoring program for new ventures and I wanted to apply for it. But before you even apply, you have to have a meeting or a mini interview to see if you're even eligible. And one of the things that the coordinator shared with me was that my type of business, which is a consulting business, um, a small business, like you said, employs mostly contractors, not necessarily full-time staff, at least not, not at this point. He said, I'm not, I, there's not a lot of businesses like mine in the program. And and I, I probed a little bit more and he said, well, we look to bring in new ventures that will change the world. And that surprised me a little bit. So I probed a little bit further to really understand what he was saying. And at that point, I felt like I needed to defend my business and what my business's vision and mission is. And I'm trying to improve people's lives by transforming workplaces so that when people go to work, they feel valued and they feel like they're contributing to something meaningful and purposeful, that they're not just there to collect a paycheck. And so I feel like I'm not even eligible to go to the next stage of the application process, which is quite a rigorous process. So let me ask you, Christine, do you feel like you're changing the world? Because I do. We have been changing the world. It's just people like to keep us in the back seat. Um, but even from the back seat, we're changing the world. What is interesting about when you said he said that you want, like, he said that they like businesses where people, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Change, like, are you talking about, I think what he meant by change the world is how much money do you have? How much money, how many billions of dollars are you going to bring to the table? Like, it's so gross. I almost, oh, like there's another group where I can speak to that, where again, it is a rigorous process and it is based on a mentorship model, but it just happened. I remember an old colleague is part of it. And the first thing I asked him, I'm like, how many women are in your group? Cause they have different chapters. He's like, oh, well, you know, there's no, in, there's none in mine, but it's not because, you know, we don't like women. I'm like, okay, well, how many are in? in this chat in Edmonton chapters. Well, we have one, but, and I'm like, there you go. Because the questions you're asking the, the, you know, the process that we're going through automatically by the third questions we're, we're struck from the list. They've already made up their mind that unless we're attached to old money, unless they can see those dollar signs, unless we're playing that misogynist game, we're not it. We're not changing. The, we're not changing their world. I'm trying to change the world, not your world, honey. I'm trying to change the world, not your world. 
because yeah. I'm here to shake things up. I know I can only do so much in my little square and, and what I do for business. But the change that I want to do is to look at those who are marginalized. Look at those who don't have opportunities. I grew up in a home where we didn't have a lot. So I want to change that world, the world that we're actually living in, not in this bubble. You know, that's the other bubble that, that's been around pre-COVID, the bubble of misogyny, the bubble of capitalism, the bubble that keeps wealth with only with the wealthy. That's not it. I'm trying to change a world where we all have access to opportunities, where, you know, people that are things that were taken from them through colonization that they can partake in, you know what I mean? That they're given back what is does like what was originally theirs, that we're empowering them, that we're not just coming into the community, you know, right. Having them write me a huge check running off and being like, thanks for your money. Bye. That's happened. That's one of the biggest reasons I started my company. I'm tired of seeing it. Yeah. You're talking about values, your values as an individual, but your values that are embedded in your business and how you work and build relationships with your clients. I, I call, I use an analogy. I say that your purpose is your anchor. It grounds you and your values are your lighthouse, which guide you. And during challenging times or when you're presented with a dilemma and you're not sure which direction to move in or towards, I always say, think back to your purpose because that will ground you and remind you why you exist and why you are doing what you're doing, what you are meant to do. And reflect on your values because those will guide you in the storm, guide you back to shore safely. And so that is what I hear you clearly articulating. So thank you for sharing that. I think that was very powerful and something that a lot of individuals and businesses need to think about and reflect on as they develop relationships with their clients and with other people. So that brings us to the close of our conversation. And one of the things that, well, one of the things I would love to do is to bring you back maybe for a part two to actually explore mentoring and the challenges that women experience when trying to seek mentors and sponsors. Uh, but before we uh, explore that a little bit more, which we can do offline, I was hoping maybe you can talk a little bit about what you are working on now. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your Fab Collective podcast and some of the things that uh, Channer Consulting is uh, working on and offering. All right. So very quickly, I have again, the podcast, which is Fab Collective, the Fab Collective that's on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And again, similar to this, it's fabulous conversations. It's a collection of th that, that I love. It's very real talk. So not everyone loves it, but that's okay. I'm done with appeasing everyone. Um, so season two starts back up in fall, but all, all of season one is, is ready for anyone to listen to. And that will have its own adventures. But again, my biggest across both platforms, the other one is, so Channel Group is, the, is like the, the mama Fab Collective, the Fab Collective is a podcast. Channer Consulting and Training is, again, a lot of the work that I do. That's replaced, you know, my nine to five. Do a lot of work with Indigenous communities. I love the work that I do. Um, we do a lot of, again, grassroots, everything from strategic planning to fund management, fund development, uh, all of it. So I'm excited for those opportunities. If, if there are any listeners that are looking to partner with Indigenous communities. My, I'm always looking for, I'm like a bridge between 
industry and the communities because I will not do anything. I love partnered opportunities because I'm not like, I'm going to do it all myself and hoard all this money. That's not my approach at all. It's like, so if there is a training we're doing, we won't do a training unless there is an actual employment opportunity. And that's where industry comes in. So if any listeners, and that's just one side of it. Again, we do a lot of strategic planning, a lot of innovative. I'm all about think outside the box, but again, the guiding post is serve, you know, be a blessed to be a blessing is kind of one of my big mottos in terms of this has to be bigger than ourselves. This has to serve. I'm very, very hyper vigilant on the youth and women naturally. Um, so if there's any listeners that want to learn more or want to work on initiatives, or if there's something innovative that you have that you think these communities, and it's not just indigenous, but I work with a lot of marginalized communities, um, let me know because I'm always looking for the right fit. And to your point earlier, integrity is everything to me. So I just love that as a business owner now, I don't chase the dollar. I never did, but I've worked for companies where it's money, money, money. And, you know, I have the opportunity to turn down opportunities that don't align with my ethos, right? So I say that because I've always been extremely picky who I bring into these communities. They trust me. I have the relationship. I do not take that for granted. So know that there will be a question period and have like heavy research because I need to make sure the fit is there, but integrity and purpose and passion is everything for me. So thank you for asking and thank you for having me. And thank you for allowing me to share that. I'm so excited. And even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, I know that you're going to be fine and flourishing and so will I. Well, I agree with you on both fronts. So I'd like to thank Christine Channer August for being on Tackle Tuesday. Everyone, that is our show for today, and I look forward to tackling the next issue with you.